Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a returning guest. Uh, we have Mark D. White. He's a professor in the Department of Philosophy at the College of Staten Island, CUNY, where he teaches courses in philosophy, economics, and law. He's the author of several books. A Philosopher Reads Marvel Comics' Civil War, Exploring the Moral Judgment of Captain America, Iron Man and Spider-Man, The Virtues of Captain America, Modern Day Lessons on Character from a World War II Superhero, and Batman and Ethics, as well as The Manipulation of Choice, Ethics and Libertarian Paternalism, The Illusion of Well-Being, Economic Policymaking Based on Respect and Responsiveness, and The Decline of the Individual, Reconciling Autonomy with Community as well as over 60 academic journal articles and book chapters and the interse intersections between economics, philosophy, and law. Mark's also the editor of Paul Graves' Perspectives from Social Economic Series, and his newest book is called A Philosopher Reads Marvel Comics' Thor, If They May Be Worthy. Welcome, Mark. No, oh, thanks. Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah, and just I think it's worth noting that Mark is our second ever guest. So Bill Irwin was our first ever guest in the beginning of May 2019, and Mark was our second ever guest. Yeah, uh, episode four, I believe. Was it four? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at it earlier today, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember back when you didn't, you couldn't even see us. <laughs> we didn't even have a camera on us, so we had to kind of maneuver around it some way. Oh my God, yeah. it's it's a different world than and now. As it far it as is. That. It really is. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, before you even get into the question, I know that's like planned. Shoot. Mark, I have to say this. I was just saving this. I didn't want to even say it before we started recording. I have to say this book. It's one of the like, I don't know. It's one of the few books in recent memories that's actually gotten me hooked. Like usually when I read a piece of like philosophical work, uh, of course, like here's what it is. There's always something juicy in there, something that's something that's going to ignite the fires within you and just kind of and it's interesting sure every piece of work you can find that in it but it's like right from the beginning actually and then as I, I just couldn't stop reading it and wow. yeah and I like that like when a book does that for I me, like I'm that like, too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's so, wonderful thank you yeah. so much you're welcome. You're welcome. And and if uh, Leon, now you well, want to and then you've hit his like favorite subject, which is Marvel Comics. Oh, I love. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? I have to say this too. And like anything that's philosophical that you could find, whether it's in a in a comic, a movie, uh, let's say a video game, anime, whatever, a cartoon, it doesn't matter. Uh, something about combining fiction and philosophy. Uh, I don't know, it, it feels easier to sort of digest, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes less of this, I don't know if it's just me, I, I think a lot you of- You know what it probably is? Because you're probably already trying to understand the superheroes and where they're coming from. There's that, and then I would say this, I think maybe this is a universal thing, maybe for some readers. They, when they encounter, you know, an academic, you know, let's say it's philosophy, just in general, they have an expectation that, you know, it's, you have a sort of different set of expectations, right? right? When you read a piece of, of uh, fictional work, you, you feel like you're going to be immersed in this other world, um, maybe just go through an adventure, uh, hero's journey, all that good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And when you put philosophical teachings in there as well, it, it, I don't know, it spices things up for mm -hmm. me personally. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure Mark is happy about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's really it goes back to, you know, my my predecessor guest, Bill Irwin, and his his brilliant idea of the series 
that does this with all types of pop culture that you mentioned, movies and comics and books and video games, et cetera. So, you know, without him, I wouldn't be doing this. I mean, he's really the one that, like I said, in the, in the preface to the book, he's the one that got me started in writing in this, this genre of applying philosophy to these pop culture things. And then obviously once I found comics, I just, you know, once I applied it to comics, I just ran, ran from there. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Do you want to say something? No, no, no. I just, I'm so sorry for fanboying at the beginning of the podcast, but I had to get that out there. All right, cool. All right. So now it's downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a phenomenal passage and I thought that it was worth reading. So Mark wrote, most of the, most of the Thor comics treat worthiness as something obvious along the lines of quote unquote, you know what it is when you see it or quote unquote, if you have to ask, you'll never understand. With all due respect to Justice Potter Stewart, who famously used the phrase to the describe obscenity in a 1964 United States Supreme Court case. Philosophers are rarely satisfied with this sort of hand-waving, insisting on getting to the core of what a word or term means. We even have a name for it, conceptual analysis. So it would be great if we could ask Odin, who placed the enchantment on the hammer to begin with, but unfortunately, he never cared to elaborate on what exactly he meant by, quote-unquote, if he be worthy. Mm. Originally, Molnir, how does it? How do, Mjolnir. Mjolnir. Okay, yeah. so Mjolnir was portrayed as mimicking an all the All Father's judgment. Oh, oh, oh! There we go. So cool. <laughs> that is so cool. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Mjolnir was portrayed as mimicking the All Father's judgment, granting itself and the power to Thor, to whom the, and the power of Thor to whomever Odin would find worthy. More recently, though, it has been strongly suggested that Mjolnir judges worthiness itself, going so far as to deny Odin himself the ability to lift it and for all and for all of his insistence that his son learn humility odin has never been a big fan of the idea so you can imagine how he took this so okay lots in there right so lots of great ideas especially since i love talking about self-esteem and pride and how does one even even right get to the core of what it means to feel good about oneself but mark first of all before we even get into how these ideas apply to thor who the hell is thor right what is his story where does he come from and why was he even born uh, well, well, there's there's two Thors really, as you know, the the Thor, the the classic Norse god of thunder, um, whom Stan Lee and Jack Kirby based their superhero version of Thor fairly closely on, and they drew on a lot of the original Norse myths to construct their comic book version of Asgard with Thor, his father Odin, his mother Freya, his brother. Uh, Loki, mm-hmm. that's the one I forget, right? His brother Loki and all the other uh, denizens of, of Asgard. Uh, in the original Thor stories, we meet Dr. Don Blake, who is a doctor uh, traveling through, uh, I believe, Norway. And he finds, he, he finds himself in a cave and picks up a stick on the ground and he accidentally hits the stick against the cave and he transforms into the mighty Thor and the stick transforms into the hammer Mjolnir. Mm. And from then on, uh, the stories, you know, proceed from there. We find out, you know, the, the whole myth, uh, the superhero version of the myth builds from there. We find out that Odin's father found the young Thor to be impetuous and brash and arrogant. And so he thought he would teach his son a lesson by, um, sending him to earth in the body of this, you know, meek, mild-mannered Dr. Donald Blake mm. and, you know, have him heal people for a living and learn what it is. Not only, you know, he had a, a, 
uh, infirmity himself. He walked with a cane, but he also, you know, would have to deal with injured, sick, ill people. And, you know, through both of these, he would learn what it meant to be a human, not a god, who couldn't rely on his his Asgardian powers and, and you know, his strength and his beauty and everything that comes with it. But he had to learn what it was like to be a human. And hopefully, hopefully that would instill some humility in him. Uh, but as you, you quoted in the passage, you know, Odin isn't exactly an expert on humility himself. So... And, and, and then, you know, Thor was a, a founding member of the Avengers, and he went on to work with, you know, virtually all of the other Marvel superheroes. And, you know, the, occasionally the hammer would pass to other people. Occasionally Thor would die, but be resurrected. Uh, Asgard as a whole would, would be destroyed in the periodic Ragnarok events, and then it would be resurrected. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's quite a read to, to, you know, I, I'd read most of it before I started the book. And then I went and made sure I read everything before I started the book, even though the book only focuses on a recent seven year period in the comics. I wanted to make sure that I, I surveyed all of the comics and saw again, what you mentioned, Leon, you know, how they discussed worthiness, you know, through the whole stretch of comics and not just in the most recent seven years. You know, because that, that, that inscription and the idea of you have to be worthy to wield the hammer is obviously a central one in the Thor stories. And, you know, it, it translates into the movies very well. But, you know, it, it was never the what worthy meant in this particular sense was never really nailed down very well until this recent run of the comics that I that I focus on in the book by writer Jason Aaron and a, a number of artists including Isak Ribic and Russell Dowderman. Right. And, and I, I'm sorry, I, no, so, no. I'm curious, uh, what pulled you to, to write about the theme of worthiness? Of course, yes, you have to be worthy to wield the hammer of Thor. And it's important to understand what does it mean to be worthy? Um, yeah, what exactly made you want to explore this? Well, a couple things. One, I'd always been interested in this topic. I, I've written on the concept of self-worth and it's, it's negative self-loathing a lot at my Psychology Today blog. Mm. So that was already kind of in my head and I thought about it quite a bit. But then when they announced that the fourth movie, the fourth Thor movie would feature Jane Foster finding the hammer and, and you know, I loved this run of Thor that I keep referring to where, she, where Jane Foster does get the hammer. And that that centers on the concept of worthiness because you know she's obviously found worthy to pick up the hammer for some reason but just as importantly the thor we know the odinson was declared unworthy and so you know not just to have somebody else pick up the hammer but to have this done specifically because you Thor who have you know based your whole life on being worthy of this hammer now declared all of a sudden unworthy that has to be a tremendous psychological blow and so you know this kind of all this just came together once that fourth movie was announced and I said wow I love the comics where they introduced Jane Foster as Thor it focuses on worthiness I thought about worthiness can I can I wrap all three of these up into a book and I mentioned this to my editor at Occam Publishing, and he said, that sounds fantastic. Because, you know, of course, 
any publisher loves to have something they can tie into an upcoming movie. And that I was, I wasn't just writing a book on Thor, but I was writing a book on the storyline that the, that the movie will to some extent be based on. It, it just seemed to all come together perfectly. Yeah. And what, how did that thread develop? Right. So why did it begin essentially with, you know, leaving it to the audience to figure out what they mean by worthiness. And now as the story develops, it's like, there's more of a, a kind of a, I would say a more concrete kind of conception of what that actually means in terms of particular character traits. Like how, how, how did that develop and why, why was it so vague in the beginning? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, Jason Aaron wrote, uh, the writer of these seven years of comics, wrote uh, every once in a while, and, you know, the, sometimes in comics, in the back page of the comics, there'll either be letters to the editor, letters from fans, or sometimes there'll be a, a text piece from the writer or the editor or the or one of the artists, you know, talking about the comic. And, you know, usually when, when a period in the comic ends, you'll have the, the creative team write something at the, at the back of the book. And Jason Aaron did this a few times and he mentioned how important uh, the, the idea of worthiness and what kind of gods we want and how gods can be worthy or not. And I, I think it was important to him. I can't speak for him, obviously, but I think through his comics, he showed that this is a very important idea to him and, and perhaps just purely speculating, he was frustrated with the fact that it hadn't been dealt with in as much detail as he wanted mm-hmm. in the earlier comics. And this is something that comes through whenever you try to apply something like philosophy or psychology or theology to, you know, something like comics is that, you know, the, the creators of the comics are not always going to take all the concepts as seriously as the philosophers or psychologists or theologians would like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people ask me when I talk about, uh, you know, when I talk about say Batman killing the Joker, which comes up all the time Mm -hmm. and they say, you know, and I, I tie it to the trolley problem and everything. They say, do you think the writers had that in mind? And I'm like, I really don't think so. They just thought it was an interesting topic. And it was good for a story because that's the ultimate goal with comics is to tell a good story. And, you know, if it had any overlap with philosophy, all the better, but, you know, it wasn't necessarily planned. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine the original, you know, Stan and Lee or Stan and Jack creating Thor at the beginning and writing this inscription on the hammer just thought it was, it it was a noble thing. Okay. Worthy, good, you know, in the book, I, I, I start tracing out what worthy would mean by just tying it to virtue ethics in general, is that if you're worthy, maybe this just means you're a good person in general. And then, you know, I, I, I narrow it down. And even in the early comics, they get a little more specific than that. But, you know, just from a storytelling point of view, I think it was good enough just to rely on that, you know, if you know it, you'll know it when you see it idea of what worthiness is. You're worthy if you're good. That's right. why when Captain America once in a while picks up the hammer, no one questions it because he <laughs> is a good character. You know, he's a good person. Yeah, he's a noble, pure-hearted person, of course. And right. what I think is uh, fascinating is when Thor first picks up the hammer in his younger years, it's actually attributed to the good deeds that he's performed, right? It's like a, it's not, it's not that same. It's like the definition of what it means to be worthy changed throughout his life. Even though I understand that that has more to do with 
the writers and them getting deeper into what it means to be worthy as we get in later and later into the story. But it is interesting uh, that you, you could actually think of it as, you know, maybe at that young age, maybe, yeah, what it meant to be worthy is to do service, just to be of service, right? And that the more, the more service uh, that uh, Thor performed, uh, the more great deeds, mm -hmm. the more he was able to lift the hammer higher and higher, mm -hmm. eventually to the point where it became weightless, mm -hmm. actually, mm -hmm. um, which is fascinating. Yeah, it is. And then there's times throughout Thor's story where, uh, yeah, what it means to be worthy changes. Sometimes it means to, like, and Mark, if, 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 if you'd obviously be better to speak on this, but there's even, I remember reading, um, a point where there were times when he would either sacrifice himself or take actions that required no thought. And, and you, um, I believe you mentioned uh, the Tao Te Ching and uh, Wu Wei, the concepts in there. Uh, could you, could you speak on that? Well, yeah, sure. When, when I, you know, even in the, the early comics, I'm talking about the very earliest Stanley and Jack Kirby comics when they start fleshing out Thor's background and, and they flesh out the story, the first time they tell the story of how he actually got the hammer was in some of the tales of Asgard backup strips in Thor. You know, they would have these, you know, the, the main story in the Thor comics would be some current day story of, of him fighting some supervillain or, or dealing with Asgard, but the backup strips often wouldn't even deal with Thor. It'd be, it'd be either recasting some ancient Norse myth into this comic book world, or it would just be fleshing out their own comic book version of Asgard. And in one of the, actually, I think it was the three-part backup story, uh, they, they explain how Thor first earned his hammer. And, you know, whenever you see the young pre-Mjolnir Thor, he's always very frustrated. He says, you know, I'm fighting all these monsters. I'm defending Asgard. I'm saving lives. I'm protecting the, the residents of Earth. How much more do I have to do? How much more do I have to prove? It's like the 12 labors of Hercules, but you know, magnified by 100. It says, what do I have to do to be worthy? He keeps going home, keeps trying to lift the hammer, can't budget. And it finally, the, 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 the deed that takes him over the top is that he finds out that his loved one is in danger. And he immediately goes to her aid and you know, offers to give his life up for her. And that's when he becomes worthy of the hammer. And they, they don't spell it out in exactly these terms in the comics, but you can see that, that, you know, obviously the bravery and, and the, 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 the heroism is an important part of it, but it's not enough. But, you know, even in those early comics, you can see that, you know, sacrifice is needed, you know, above and beyond, you know, what we really think is truly heroic, you know, her, you know, the, the concept of heroism tends to be, you know, stretched a little far these days, you know, for, not for not for bad reason. But when we talk about wearing a mask during a pandemic, you're being heroic. Well, you're being good. You're being considerate. It's not really heroic because you're not making a tremendous sacrifice. Okay, but when Thor gives up his life to save Sif, or or Freya, or Odin, or even Loki, or anyone on Earth, okay, that's making a heroic sacrifice. That's what we think of when we think of first responders and and soldiers and firefighters and police officers who lay down their lives to save other people. That's the true measure of heroism, mm -hmm. and uh, and doctors and nurses. I think you know, I could go on. But, you know, it, so it's, it's that 
sense of willingness to sacrifice, you know, not just storming into battle and pumping your chest and, and saving the, the poor, you know, humans, but actually risking your life to do so. And then also doing so without thinking. And this is where the, the way we way comes in the, the Taoist idea of action through inaction. The fact that he's not thinking about it, he's not deliberating about it. He hasn't sat back and says, okay, this time I'll sacrifice my life. He just does it because by now it's such an ingrained part of who he is. And to get back to something that, that you said, um, the idea that when he was younger, he may not have realized all this. I never thought about that, but that, that's great. And that maybe when he was starting out, it was just performing deeds. And through these deeds, then he learned what was important. You know, when, when uh, the, the virtue ethicists talk about moral education, obviously when you're young and you're, when you're trying to, the, you know, either you're a child trying to learn how to be a good person or you're a parent or a caregiver or a teacher trying to help young people develop, you, you're obviously not going to throw them Aristotle and say, here, read this and figure it out. You're going to have them, you know, you're going to teach them what you do to be good. You know, you, you, you know, you obviously tell little kids, you know, look at that older person there, help them across the street or see if you can carry their groceries or something like that. Or we, we show them role models and we say, you know, look at the, look at this person you admire and look at how they're giving to charity or how they're, you know, supporting these causes, even though they don't have to, they're rich, they're famous, they're beautiful. They don't have to do these things, but they do them, mm -hmm. you know, or you look at, at leaders, religious leaders, whatever, moral exemplars. And, you know, that's an important part of moral development is, is before you can really own your own moral code, you, you copy that of people you look up to. You don't, you, it's, it's controversial whether you want to keep doing this once you've reached adulthood, moral maturity, where you should really determine your own moral code. But early on, you do that. And that's what I thought of when you said, you know, through all these deeds Thor's performing, it's really teaching by example what he has to do. And then, you know, once he got to this point where he finally embraced it so much that he sacrificed himself without thinking, that's when he reached the point where he was considered worthy. And that's when I finally start to see a unique conception of what worthiness means in this store Thor, uh, Thor storyline, mm -hmm. not the store Thor line. <laughs> and, and right and that's such a good segue into the philosophy of it because what i was starting to think about is like okay if you know he's a kid and then you have these role models you know obviously hopefully your parents and they're telling you what's right it makes sense as to how like the hammer would respond right but okay what happens now when he becomes an adult and so in your book you focus on deontology utilitarianism like virtue ethics these systems contradict one another right they're not all equally the same right i mean sometimes you can get a conclusion which sort of fits into the same sort of framework or to various frameworks works right but a lot of times you're not going to get that so when you have this hammer well, so, what i i don't know about that i i they're 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 contradictory in kind of marginal cases mm -hmm. i mean you know in, in general i mean this is how i look at it at least is that the the three systems you mentioned utilitarianism deontology and virtue ethics in 90 percent of cases they come to the same conclusion Mm -hmm. You know, killing is wrong, hurting is wrong, lying is wrong, helping is good, you know, but it, it's really on the margins where, where you get differences, you know, are all lies bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, deontology typically says, you know, yes, utilitarianism would say, well, maybe some lies actually help. Mm -hmm. 
virtue ethics would say, you know, you, if you're a generally honest person, you'll use your judgment to decide whether a particular lie is good or not. But, you know, they all agree that lying in general is bad. Mm -hmm. It's just on the, on the margin specific cases where they take into account their different bases for making these decisions. You know, deontology usually doesn't like to consider specific circumstances, but, you know, utilitarianism does. Yeah. So, and then I would think in terms of the hammer, right? How would we make decisions on those margins, right? Or how would the hammer then make decisions on those margins? So in terms of like Thor and being, you know, developing character and becoming a good person, who gets to decide which system to apply when is my question, right? Is it the hammer? Is it sort of the God who created the hammer? How does that work? Well, I don't, I don't know if the hammer is really judging particular decisions. I think, I think the, the reason I settle on virtue ethics is the, the frame to, to, examine this is because Mjolnir is really judging character. Mm -hmm. Mjolnir is judging whether the person who wants to wield it is worthy. And that just, just seemed like a notion from virtue ethics more than, you know, are you properly weighing the good and bad in utilitarian decisions? Or are you following all the principles and rules that deontology would lay out? You know, worthiness just seems to be a more general concept that came from virtue ethics. So that's the, the reason I went in that direction with it. Right. I think also it would help to highlight your point. Maybe if we spoke about the times where Thor was not worthy, like what, what kind of character traits did he exhibit when he lost the ability to lift the hammer? Wait, and Mark, just before we go into that, can we define virtue ethics just for the audience? Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Oh, OK. Uh, well, I'll, I'll do this in contrast to the other two, because mm -hmm. I, I think people will be more familiar with the other two. You know, utilitarianism is the system that you, you make moral decisions based on the net amount of good or bad, pain or pleasure, you know, utility or disutility created. Okay, the greatest good for the greatest number. Okay, uh, deontology is a system that looks at the actual moral status of the act itself. So rather than saying, does a lie create more good than bad? It would say, does a lie deny anyone the respect they are owed as, as persons, okay? What both of those have in common, even though they seem very opposed in that way, is that they both judge acts. They both judge decisions. They both judge actions. Where virtue ethics is, is, is usually considered separate from those because it judges the actor, it judges the decision maker themselves mm -hmm. and says, uh, does this, you know, are, are you a, a good person or not? Or do you possess the virtues? Okay, where the virtues are generally considered good character traits that contribute to living a good life. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's all the typical ones we think of, you know, honesty, courage, benevolence, Okay, and and kind of the the larger uber judgment is you know our, our uber virtue is judgment. Okay, the the ability to put these individual virtues into practice at the right time, at the right place, in the right amount, achieving what Aristotle called the golden mean. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. not going too far in any direction, but you know achieving the the right amount of good action in any particular case. Mm -hmm. But just because you're an honest person doesn't mean you're honest 100% of the time. Just because you're a courageous person doesn't mean you're courageous 100% of the time. It just means that generally you have this 
this forms part of your moral character and expresses itself in most of your action. It doesn't demand that you be perfect, but you know, obviously if you lie all the time, you can't call yourself an honest person. Right. But if you lie once in a while for good reason, or even for bad, you can still be a generally honest person. Right. So it's a good fit with utilitarianism, it seems like, because I think what the question or the underlying question is like, okay, when is it okay to lie? Right. I think the understanding is, well, you can't be a liar, even if you, here's, this is just my conception of it, obviously. Uh, the understanding I think is that you can't be, uh, well, let's say honest, right. If you lie for your own sort of selfish reasons, I think. So it's like, I think the understanding there is that if there's uh, on the periphery, if you lie for the sake of someone or something else, you know, that's understandable and probably recommended, right. Because that's sort of the golden mean whereas if you're lying for yourself uh, you know can you really be called an honest person i'm not really sure well yeah i mean that's that's obviously you know one way to link the two okay mm -hmm. what i'm saying is that you know a generally honest person can still slip once in a while and still mm -hmm. lie for the wrong reason i mean you're okay. we're basically talking about lying for good reason or lying for bad reason mm -hmm. and deontology can look at this too because deontology, obviously, you're considering the the well, you're, the, you're considering the the moral status of other persons as demanding respect and consideration. And I mean, um, one of the best examples from the deontological literature is, um, say, you have a doctor who is presiding over a man who just died, and let's say he died just a horrible, painful death, suffered, and after he dies, his wife comes to see him. And his wife asked the doctor, did he suffer? What should the doctor tell her? Does the doctor have to tell you? Yes, I'm afraid he was in agonizing pain for every second that he lived up until he died. Why? What good would that do? Okay, generally, of course, doctors are supposed to be honest. Doctors are supposed to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason for that, you know, and that reason doesn't necessarily extend to being completely honest with a mourning wife that her husband was in horrible pain at the end of his life. Right. In other words, it is a lie to tell him, no, your husband died peacefully in his sleep. He wasn't in pain. Right. It's a lie, but you know, it, it's a, it's a lie done for, like you said, for the good of others, which can right. be considered in utilitarian terms or in deontological terms. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but even if you told a lie for a bad reason, you know, just, you know, you, you told a lie to get out of something you didn't want to do, you know, the simplest, the simplest case, which none of us have ever done, of course, you know, you can do that once in a while and still be generally an honest person. Mm -hmm. Okay, because, you know, we all slip, none of us are perfect, none of us are, are ideal. Okay. And, you know, once in a while, if you've got a lot of pressures and you've got things going on and you just can't imagine doing this thing you want to get out of, you say, oh, no, I, I have something else that day, you know, and you feel bad about it later. If you don't feel bad about it later, you might not be an honest person, but you'll feel bad about it later. But you realize, hey, I was pushed to the limit. I have too much stuff going on. I couldn't think in that second what else to say. So I did that. Not, not excusing that. But I'm saying if a generally honest person does that once in a while, I don't think it compromises their ability to think of themselves as a generally honest person. Right. But ideally virtue ethics doesn't demand perfection, in other words. But again, you. the more you do that and the more the more you lie like that and the more you lie for that reason, that's when it starts to think, you know, are you really an honest person?
Right. But ideally speaking, we're usually in virtue ethics weighing like uh, particular values against one another, right? So in the case of the doctor, it seems like the two values in conflict are kindness and honesty, right? So it's like, right. what do I choose? Right. So it's like right. sometimes exactly. you're going to have to sacrifice one for the other. Mm. Right. And that's where judgment comes in. Because, right. you know, the virtuous person has all these character traits, some of which are going to come into conflict. Like you, you nailed it. You know, you've got your, 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 your doctor's imperative to be honest with your patients and their loved ones, but you've also got compassion where you've got to decide, you know, is it, is it so important to be honest to this grieving widow that I have to deny her the compassion that she probably needs at this point and going forward to, to go on with her life without having to imagine the, the, you know, ungodly pain that her husband was in prior to his death. Right. Right. Alan, do you remember the question you asked? <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, please. No, that was an important thread to explore. Okay, 1000%. Right. No, uh, no, I was just, uh, I wanted to sort of highlight the importance of what it means to be worthy by highlighting the times when uh, right. Thor wasn't worthy. What, what kind of character traits did he exhibit when he lost that power, that, that worthiness? I respect you so much for remembering your question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, the main the main instance in which he truly lost his worthiness was in this storyline that I focus on in the book, where, you know, it, it all starts with him getting a whisper from Nick Fury on the moon, which, you know, comics, you know, and, and we don't find out what the whisper was for several years afterwards, but he hears this whisper, his eyes get big and he drops the hammer and he can't pick it up again. So Thor doesn't know. I mean, he knows what the whisper was, obviously, but he, he doesn't understand why it all of a sudden made him unworthy. And so, again, while, you know, the, the new Thor is taking over and, and, you know, playing with the Avengers and dealing with Odin and fighting villains, Thor is going through a very existential struggle to try to figure out why he's not worthy and how to become worthy again. You know, because it's, it's, it doesn't seem to be just the, you know, unthinking self-sacrifice that it used to be because that hasn't changed. What about me has changed that I'm all of a sudden not worthy anymore? And it, that's where you get into the, the, the much richer conception of worthiness that Jason Aaron and his artistic collaborators developed throughout the seven years of the comics that they, that they created. And he really has to do a lot of soul-searching and go through a lot of pain and struggle himself before he finally realizes what it means to be worthy. And, and part of it is, I mean, the, the whisper, when we finally find out what the whisper was, it was, it was based on uh, the first villain that Thor fights in Jason Aaron's run, who is named Gore the God Butcher, who will be in the fourth movie, uh, played by Christian Bale. And sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, just obviously when you have actors or actresses playing different characters and different franchises and different <laughs> companies. That, but the thought of Christian Bale doing his Batman voice uh -huh. for the God Butcher, <laughs> which may actually fit. Um, but Gore himself is a, a person who um, his whole family was slaughtered because the, the gods that they worshipped weren't paying attention. They were fighting each other and they weren't paying attention to the people that they supposedly served and who worshipped them. So he decides, I'm going to kill all gods and he amasses this great power and he goes through the universe 
killing gods. And that's how Thor first becomes aware of him. But, you know, obviously Gore doesn't think gods are, you know, should exist. And he argues with Thor that, you know, why are gods worthy of worship? Why are gods worthy of what the people, the, whether they're humans or any other species, give them this, this regard, this, this uh, you know, reverence? And, you know, so the, 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 the ideological argument in the first storyline, the first dozen issues or so is, you know, are gods worthy of what the, the people give them? And of course, Thor's arguing yes, Gore's arguing no. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years later, at the end of this storyline involving Nick Fury and the moon, et cetera, uh, called Original Sin, Nick Fury whispers in Thor's ear. And when we finally find out several years later what he whispered, he, his whisper was simply, Gore was right. That gods are not worthy or gods are unworthy. Okay. Now, you know, it, it could have just been that statement. I mean, the, it, they never actually say, or at least I didn't see in the comics where, you know, they, they, Aaron is good enough that he doesn't have to spell any of this out. Okay. He leaves it all for the reader to figure it out. He doesn't make it so obscure that they can't see it, but he doesn't, you know, just write it on a blackboard for everyone to see. But the, the idea that I got is this shook Thor's confidence in his own worthiness. Okay, I mean, he, he defeated Gore, but he still regards Gore as a formidable foe, a respectable foe. And he really got in Thor's head from the minute they started fighting. Okay, because, you know, Thor realizes in his experience as a god, he hasn't always been the best god to the people of Earth. You know, his, his fellow gods in Asgard are fighting amongst themselves as much as they're, they're protecting people on the planets below, on the, the rest of the nine or ten realms. So, you know, he kind of knows. And, and you know, I also trace this history about how the people of Earth have regarded Thor. Sometimes they worship him as a god. Sometimes they resent him as ignoring them. And so Gore really gets in his head with this business of the gods being unworthy. And when Nick Fury confirms to him you know at the end of the original sin story that gore was right gods are unworthy i think that's the final straw in thor's mind that says oh my gosh maybe we are unworthy and then the hammer drops mm -hmm. and so his his travel his 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 journey from here on is not so much to disprove gore but to understand why he thinks gods are unworthy, what it means for gods to be worthy again, and specifically what it means for him to be worthy, for him to overcome this doubt. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the, the twist I think Aaron really gives us, and what I, you know, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, I, I just wrote about it, it was, it was Aaron's idea, is that Thor actually has to embrace this doubt because it's doubting that he's worthy that actually makes him worthy. Hmm. And I, I have to admit, once I realized that, once I read that, I mean, maybe other people saw it more easily, but it took me a while to see it. But I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yep. And that's also very kind of, you know, I, I mentioned Zen Buddhism and Taoism in terms of the paradox that, that especially those of us with Western mindsets see in a lot of Eastern philosophy, 
know, that has a very Eastern feel of it. You know, you have to doubt you're worthy to be worthy. It's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, I mentioned in the book, you know, uh, Leon mentioned humility before. Okay. If you think yourself, oh, I'm humble, that defeats the purpose of being humble. You, you can't think you're humble. You can have a reasonable amount of self-confidence or like Leon would say, pride in what you've done and who you are. But, you know, you can't think, oh, I'm the greatest person in the world. And that includes being humble. You know, that's a contradiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we talk about the same thing about people who say, you know, I'm the smartest person in the world. Well, the smartest person in the world probably wouldn't say that. And the, the most humble person in the world would never think of saying that because they wouldn't regard themselves as humble. And once Thor realizes that, you know, I, I, I don't have to achieve a feeling of worthy, I just have to, uh, of being worthy. Instead, I have to keep working to be worthy. I can never be sure that I've achieved it. I have to keep trying. And there's a great part at the end of my book and the end of the Aaron storyline, once he's you know, gotten there, where we're in the, the new place where there is, where being secure enough in his worthiness without being sure of it. Once he gets there, he, he every time he goes to pick up Mjolnir, he's not sure it's going to pick up. And he picks it up and he says, good, I'm worthy today. Maybe I won't be tomorrow, mm-hmm. but I'm worthy today. And so I'm going to go do good things today. And hopefully I'll pick it up tomorrow but he's never sure it's going to respond to him. And that's part of what makes him worthy in this new conception of what worthiness is. It's always having a little bit of doubt about whether you're worthy. So you keep struggling to be better. And I just absolutely loved that idea of never being satisfied. I mean, you can think you're worthy, but still you can think you're generally a good person, but I think generally good people never stop trying to be better. Right. You know, they don't beat themselves up over it, but neither do they sit back and say, well, I'm good enough. You know, I'm a great person. I don't have to be any better. Truly great people, I think, I have to imagine, would always be trying to get better. You know, I, I fall back to Captain America. No one's harder on Captain. No, no one. Well, you can either say no one's harder on Captain America than he is himself, or you can say he's not harder on anybody than he is on himself. He's always beating himself up. He's always trying to be better. He's always, you know, mourning every simple, every little mistake he makes because he should have done better. He should have anticipated the attack. He should have known what was going to happen. And we can say this is not virtuous because he takes it too far. He's too hard on himself. But at the same time, we kind of admire that because he's not resting on his laurels. He's not sitting back and saying, well, I'm Captain America. I don't have to be any better. I'm pretty good as it is. <laughs> And Thor realizes this, that even after Mjolnir lets, lets him lift it up, he realizes, okay, I can't take this for granted. I've got to keep trying to be good, to be worthy, to earn the right to hold this hammer, because someday I may not be able to, and I can't count on being able to lift it tomorrow. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a great way that that scene appears at the end of the series after he's taken over as Allfather of Asgard from Odin. And he's sitting on the throne and he's got the, the hammer beside him. And he just every once in a while checks to see if he can lift it because he's not overly confident that he always will anymore. 
Damn, man. Wow. That's wow. so cool. Yeah. <laughs> that, you, that reminded me. So we had uh, the professional wrestler Mark Merrill on last year. And so Mark told us a story about the wrestler Stone Cold Steve Austin, who obviously everybody loves, right? He's yeah. like a hero of all of ours. Um, so like, yeah, so Mark talked about Austin. And he's like, you know, I used to like, he's like, all of the boys, like once you're done with the match, you're out of here, right? He's like, you're going to get drunk, you know, do whatever, go hang out, right? Go party. He's like, it wasn't like that with Austin, man. He's like, after he was done with his match, he would literally like peek behind the curtain because he was watching the next guy's matches. And so Mark would say, like, he's like, yo, you don't understand with Austin, man. He would have like a five-star match and he would go to the back and people would be like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And Austin would be like, no, man, here are like the 15 things that went wrong with what I did, mm -hmm. right? And like, yeah, and but he's great, right? He's considered to be one of like the top five professional right. wrestlers of all time. But that's it, man. That's really what it takes. Yeah. 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 So, so amazing. Yeah. You we hear about know that, you know, like mu that. musicians who after a great show will say, well, I flubbed that lick. I, mm -hmm. I hit I hit that note wrong. I forgot that lyric. Or you know, uh, you know, yeah. It's all it's all the same thing. It's people who you you think are experts and experienced and at the top of their game. They don't need, to, but they're always trying to get better. They're always trying to improve. Whether that's in a, a skill like being a wrestler or a musician or a, an actor or just in in more moral terms, just trying to be a good person. Right. and never being completely satisfied that you are yeah yeah and you know something i like use with my clients an article of yours on relationships from psychology today is when you said right and you know where i'm going with this right so essentially mark has this really great article on relationships where the idea is that you should continuously doubt whether or not your partner loves you and will continue to love you and so oh, the question yeah. right right and right and so the question is why would somebody want to do that right wouldn't want so, so wouldn't somebody want like full security in a relationship and the answer is no right because once you get that you start to rest on your laurels and you start to think like okay this person is going to be here regardless of what I do, because I'm so special, right? And so Mark argued in the articles that you want to stay away from that. And so the idea is not to consistently doubt the relationship, or to intensify the doubt of the relationship, but to always have in the back of your mind that yes, right. something could change, that maybe you'll kind of let up, and then you won't be as great as you were before. And then you know, your partner is going to notice that you might get like some sort of hint of that. And then if you decide still, you know, to kind of maintain your level of, or whatever your behaviors, or you know, your level of inconsistency, or being inconsiderate, however you kind of want to term it, then the ideas you lose a relationship and doubt in a way it's sort of like the wellspring in that case so in that sense to well-being mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if i understand this correctly it's, it's like having a sort of a healthy sense of doubt to keep yeah. yourself you know humble and so this way you don't become complacent and maybe so comfortable that you'll take them for granted yes maybe exactly. perform some kind of action yeah. that will Yep. You know, paradoxically yeah. push them away by thinking everything is okay. Yeah. And that's like narcissism, right? Where the idea is like, I'm so special. It doesn't matter what mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And that, that's what, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've had this happen in relationships I've been in where you, you know, it, it, it is paradoxical because you want to get comfortable with a person so comfortable you, that you can just kind of coexist and not have to worry about you know, whether, whether they're happy, whether you're, you know, whether they're, they, whether they could be happier or whether you could be happier, you say we're fine. But the thing is, once, once a relationship hits that stage and that's a great stage, but then if people start to let their guard down and uh, again, this is kind of what you want, but it's also what you don't want. You want to let your guard down. You don't want to have to, you know, worry about the, you know, little, little things that, that might annoy your partner. But also you have to realize that, you know, you can still annoy them and, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to let yourself go too far. Right. And, mm -hmm. you know, these, these aren't things, you know, people get, you know, uh, you know, 
I okay. One one pet peeve of mine is chewing with your mouth open. Okay, I just oh I can't stand the, the all the sounds from the mouth and everything, and the 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 sights and you know. So I mean that's a that's a pet peeve of mine, and you know so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, let's say I'm, I'm, I'm with a person for a long time and she gets comfortable and she was originally chewing with her mouth closed and then she started chewing with her mouth open. That's, you know, obviously, you know, honey, you know, we talked about this. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's about really, you know, that that's that's being considerate and that's important. But when you start, you know, you, you stop caring so much, you stop checking in with your partner every so often, because you think, oh, they're fine, they don't need me to do this anymore. We're not dating anymore. We're not engaged anymore. You know, we're in a committed relationship, marriage or not, you know, I, I don't have to try as hard. And that's the point is, when you get that, that to that degree of complacency, I mean, a little complacency is nice, because you want to be that relaxed, you know, comfortable in the stability of your relationship. But, you know, the complacency can go too far. Right. Mm. And then you start taking things for granted. I think that's the perfect phrase. You take things for granted and, you know, th that could lead to, you know, resentment that could lead to hurt feelings that could lead to cracks in the relationship. So if you always remember, you know, my partner's not always going to not necessarily going to be there tomorrow. You know, I hope so, but I better make sure I'm not doing something that would make that more likely. And so, you know, both of you use the phrase, keep in the back of your head that, you know, she might leave. She could leave. She always, she could always leave. And as long as I remember that, in my case, it would be a she. And, you know, in, in other people's case, a he, whatever. But, you know, you, you remember that. And, you know, that it helps keep you on your toes a little bit, not right. walking on eggshells, but again, just on your toes just to make sure that you're not letting things slip too much. You're not becoming too complacent. You're not taking too much for granted. Right. And we're not talking about a wholesale change to go from, okay, I'm this terrible human and I have to become someone completely different. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, then they're leaving. Think, then they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> right. And to your point, let, let's say uh, you used to go out all the time with your significant other. And then all of a sudden that kind of stops and maybe it, uh, maybe you know somebody who's complacent will let that you know pattern take over now we're no longer going out and you never know uh, it might be actually good to have in your head you know what if you're not going to do it maybe somebody else will do it you know right. and right. maybe then that will be like you mentioned uh, sort of a wellspring for hey let's let's break that pattern again let me let's let's go out let's you know it, again it'll keep you on your toes so to speak mm -hmm. it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a balance. It's a dance. Like you, it's yeah. like going back to the golden mean, right? It's like you're sort mm -hmm. of trying your best not to go to one extreme or the other, where right. you're not constantly plagued by self doubt, but you're also not completely complacent either. Exactly. Very well yeah. said. Thank you. And I didn't know we were going to get into relationships. I'm telling you, I'm getting so many pearls of wisdom right now. <laughs> you know, it's it's making me think. I'm like, hmm, yeah, I should be a little more humble and. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and then so, yeah, and going back to the, th the story of Thor, right? And then so in terms of like, so once he figures this out, uh, once he figures out that, okay, you know, worthiness is not something that you constantly hold, or it's not something that's permanent, it's something to work toward, right? Well, how does this change him? Well, I, you know, you, one way you can consider it is it's just a further development in that original goal of being sent to earth to learn humility. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just kind of like a, a, a second layer of humility. 
not and it's not enough to be humble, but you also have to be humble about how humble you are and never take for granted that you're humble. Right. You know, so he goes forward and, and you know, the Jason, run, Jason Aaron's run ends with him kind of rededicating, rededicating, rededicating himself to the people of Earth. Mm -hmm. And which he never really forgot about. I mean, his, his relationship with Earth and how Odin felt about it is a, is a struggle and a, a thread going through the, the whole entire store, uh, Thor storyline. Keeps saying store storyline. Um, <laughs> the, the whole thing with, you know, Odin, you know, Thor loving Earth, loving the people of Earth, obviously falling in love with Jane Foster uh, at one point, and Odin really resenting his dedication to the people of Earth. And, and resenting how much he wants to be there, which is ironic because he's the one that sent him there in the first place. So he'd been going to Earth for centuries, obviously influenced the Norse people and everything. But, you know, one of the things that, that, that Jane says to Thor near the end of the storyline, and she tries to emphasize this to him a lot, is that, you know, it's not the God in you that makes you worthy, it's the human in you. You need both parts. And the, the human part of him is what ties him to earth. And I think the one of the one of the outcomes of the, the overall storyline is he, you know, it renews his dedication to the people of earth. And, you know, the, the, the spark of humanity that's in him, especially due to his birth mother, and this may be changing very soon. Uh, I hope it doesn't. But his, his, his birth mother was actually not Freya, not Odin's second wife i think gaia uh but 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 gaia gaia i'm not sure how you pronounce it the the oh. the earth goddess mm -hmm. okay and you know if i remember the story correctly from the thor annual where all this was spelled out i think thor and gaia had a child because thor or, or odin sorry odin and gaia had a child thor Specifically because Odin wanted him tied to Earth, wanted him to have a, a, literally a blood tie to Earth. So he would never forget his duties to the people of Earth. But it was really when he fell in love with Jane Foster and he started spending too much time on Earth because, hey, his girlfriend lives there. You know, that's when Odin starts saying, okay, pull back. You're Prince of Asgard. You've got to learn how to reign. Um not rain like the god of thunder, but rain is the, the presumptive heir apparent to the throne of Asgard. And so I think, I think like, again, to get back to the end of the storyline, I think that's part of what Thor learns from this is, you know, um, he's got this new appreciation of what it means to be worthy. He's no longer confident he's going to be able to lift Mjolnir every time he tries. Mm -hmm. And this, like I said, this keeps him from becoming complacent. It keeps him from becoming cocky. And, and just assuming he's going to be worthy forever, that he thought, you know, once I earned that hammer, I'll never lose it. Now he knows he might lose it. So he's got to be careful to make sure he's worthy of it every day. I think that's the most important takeaway from the story. Wow, I love that. And it's like, yeah. if you think about it, right, this is sort of on the one hand, what you're seeing is that it's so difficult to deal with that uncertainty, right, to sort of not know who you actually are, right? Am I a good person? Am I a smart person? Am I valuable? Do I have something to kind of offer, right? But then on the other hand, right, you actually technically don't really have to worry about those labels. Because if the idea is never to get to some like, uh, kind of ultimate end where you're always those things, and that's it, right, you kind of put a button on it. And that's who you'll always be if there's no like grand ending. So you don't have to actually worry yourself too much 
much about it because you know there's like again with narcissism it's delusional if you ever think you're any of those things you really aren't so it's again on the one hand it's difficult to deal with the uncertainty of it of whether you are or aren't these things but on the other hand you can also kind of let it go yeah yeah because again it's it's this middle it's this gold mean this middle ground you can have a reasonable level of confidence that you're a good worthy person but just at the same time have a little bit in the back of your head that you know you could be better Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, you know, you can't stop trying to be good. In other words, you know, being good takes effort and you can never stop that. You know, uh, when Kant wrote about virtue, he called it strength. But when he wrote about it, he said, you know, if you're never, if you stop working on it, you lose it. Right. You know, you, which is basically the same way of saying you can't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can both be confident in your general, you know, like you, you'll use it stone cold Austin. I'm sure he knew he was great, but that's, that's, but that didn't stop him from keep trying, trying to improve. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I know nothing yeah. about wrestling, but I think that's a great example. <laughs> Same here. He's the wrestling fan. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting. Yeah. Cause he's like the Marvel person. So when I go to, uh, when I have any questions about comic books, like he's the guy I go to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. So, wow. So like, right. Just to kind of sum it up, the idea here is that first of all, you're never going to be any of these particular values fully and all the time. And then the other thing is like, you always have to not only maintain the level that you've reached, but you also have to keep climbing higher. Right. 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 All right. Love fact, that, if, you don't, if you don't keep climbing, you're not really as good as you thought you were, yep. you know, cause that's one thing Thor learns is unworthiness. Our, our worthiness is in the struggle. Mm-hmm. It's not just the struggle to keep being worthy. That's what makes him worthy, the, the continued struggle. And, you know, struggle may be exaggerating. I don't want to, you know, leave people that, you know, it, it has to be a 24-7 worry. Mm-hmm. But like, like we've said, with respect to all these, all these you know, examples, you just keep in the back of your mind. Always try to be a little better, do a little better, be a little nicer, be a little kinder. Love that. Love that so much. All right, Alan, final questions for Mark before we wrap up. Oh, yeah, Mark. Um, so a uh, question. Uh, so I've been looking for the book online. Uh, when is it officially going to be out? Soon. <laughs> so that's all. That's all I know. I mean, definitely. I want to buy it so badly. I, I was looking for it. I saw your oh, well, actually, maybe too much information. I apologize. I saw an email exchange between the both of you. And then you asked for a copy of the book. And I saw your response and I thought, okay, I want to buy the book. You know, I'm not going to say what the response was. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like we're just giving the book for free, huh? You know, something like that. Well, yeah, but, he, um, he was joking. Of course. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the book should be in production soon. All the issues with the proofs and editing have been taken care of. And uh, hopefully, I don't know if it's going to be available digitally before print or if they're both going to come out at the same time. But I know the publisher wants it out as soon as possible. We've resolved all the issues with editing, so I, I I hope it'll be out. Like I said, soon. That's all. That's all I know. No, awesome. We'll definitely at the time when it comes out, definitely promote it, and if anything, just repost the episode too around sure. that time. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and also, if we wanted to follow you in general, let's say on Twitter, uh, where could we find you? Uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, at Prof M D White P R O F M D White. Uh, my website is also profmdwhite.com and I'm on Instagram, though I usually just pitch, you know, a lot of pictures of clouds. Uh, again, just at profmdwhite. I hear you. Awesome. Mark, thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, this thanks, was thanks for awesome. having me on again, guys. This was, this was great. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All take right. Care. Take care. Bye. All right. That was 
Yeah, one of your favorites, I assume. Look at me. I just cannot (laughs) stop smiling. So, everybody, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe, hit hit the the bell. bell. And guys, be on the lookout for the book, uh, A Philosopher Reads Marvel Comics' Thor, if they be worthy. Uh, We'll definitely repost about it in the future. But again, thanks for watching and see you next time.